for here to study the Word today, and we're going to be talking about a controversial subject, Christians and government. Now, some of you will say, oh, you're too soft. Oh, that's, that's copping out. And some of you will think, oh, that's too rigid. That's too rigid. You're over the top. Hey, I'm trying to go from the Word of God to say what I believe the Word says about our responsibility to the government. So if you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Matthew 17, through 27. Now, while they were there staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, he said yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes, from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Father, we ask that you would open our spiritual eyes. Help us to receive from you today the treasures that you have from your word, from your mouth, to our hearts, to our world around us. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, before I get started, I want to just ask you to do something special today. Uh, there is a friend of ours, uh, Mike's daughter, Heather, is going to go back to the University of Michigan Hospital. She has a very bad infection, and it's, uh, it could be life-threatening. So I would like to just take a moment to pray for her. And I would like you through the week to remember her, Heather that God will touch, God will heal, and God will do a miracle. So, Father, we bring this situation before the throne of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great and mighty healer, the one that can do any and all things. And, God, we ask you in the name of Jesus to heal Heather, to touch her body and heal her. Lord, we come before you boldly asking for your grace and your mercy to be poured out on this family. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, I forgot to say this is the Word of God, didn't I? Okay, this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. There we go. Okay. Better late than never. Uh, as you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the coming King. Now, last week we talked about the faith rest life in a world of turmoil. Now, you know that you're living in a world of turmoil. You know the world is changing around us. We, say that we, we are seeing it, and we say it often here. And we've learned that the disciples had to deal in their world with doubt, and we're living in this world of turmoil, which also causes Christians to doubt what in the world is going on. Remember, doubt is to waver an opinion. And I suggested last time that doubt is a faith killer. It is a faith killer. James, in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, in the context of trials, in doubting that God can do anything in your trials, James says this, you're in the midst of the trial, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Folks, we want to come before God, believing by faith that God will enter into Heather's situation or any situation that we're living in. 
That is what we believe, and that's what we trust. Our brains, folks, are being pummeled with doubt on a regular basis. Over and over and over, we're getting inputs of doubt. The Bible, doubting the Bible. Is the Bible really true? Doubting miracles, the virgin birth, the atonement. Many people today, even Christians, doubt that Jesus is the only way to God. They listen to Oprah instead of the Bible. Folks, listen to the Bible, not Oprah or whatever else they have on TV that causes you to doubt. Doubt your faith, doubt your faith, doubt your faith, and it's coming from all quarters, coming from the media, coming from education, coming from every venue into your mind, and it can affect us. So we must stop and say, no, I will not doubt. So uh, remember, many Christians today are changing their beliefs because they've been pummeled with doubt, changing their beliefs about homosexuality and homosexual marriage. Uh, there's no such thing as homosexual marriage, folks. God makes marriage between a man and a woman. That's something made up by humanity. We get gender confusion. Folks, how many genders are there? Two. Everybody say two. Two genders. Two genders. Not 15 genders or 20 genders. Or, and there are two genders. God says so. The true Christian must, must, must not adjust their worldview to the mores or the morals of the culture. As the culture changes and declines, we must stand fast. Do not waver. Do not waver. Now, how are we going to survive this? Well, we walk by faith and not by sight. The righteous will live by faith. And remember the words of Richard Allen Farmer that we had on the screen last week. I will trust in the Lord until I die. That's right, all the way to the end. Now, this week, Christians in the government or Christians' response to a devolving government. In 22 and 23, Jesus will be killed and raised up. Was it the government that killed Jesus? Oh, let's see. Now, while, he, while they were there staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the disciples, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he'll be raised up, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. The government was going to kill Jesus. But let's expand on this. Who really killed Jesus? That's the question. Who killed him? Was it the Romans that killed him? Was it the Jews? Was it Herod, Pilate? Was it you? Did your sins put Jesus on the cross? I think, yes, they did. Yeah. Well, let's let Scripture help us. Who really killed Jesus? Well, Acts 4, 27 and 28 says this. For truly... Against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Father, then both Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand. Now, that's leading us into a direction on who killed Jesus. God. Watch this, Acts 2.23. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, crucified, and put to death. Isaiah 53.10 even makes it clear, it pleased the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. It pleased the Lord to bruise him or to crush him, to crush him. So Herod was complicit. Pilate was complicit. The Gentiles, Rome, were complicit. The Jews were complicit. I was complicit. We were all involved in this. 
but the ultimate, ultimate source of Jesus' death was God himself. God himself crushed his son. But realize this, realize this. Jesus willingly, now Jesus is part of the Godhead. Think about this. In, there's not even eternity past with God because he's outside of time. But it's for a point of reference for us. In eternity past, Jesus, being part of the Godhead, determined that he would die on the cross for the sins of the world. The whole Godhead is unified together. So the ultimate source is that, but Jesus willingly gave his life for you. Put your name there. Just put your name there. He gave his life for you. In John 10, 17 and 18, it says this, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one, no one takes it from me. No king could take, take Jesus' life. No Caesar could take Jesus' life. No pilot could take Jesus' life. No Herods could take Jesus' life. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus died, folks, for a specific reason, so that you could live forever with him. By simply believing and receiving the gift of salvation. We've said it multiple times. God took all of the wrath in this room and all of the world. He placed it on his son so that those who believe in him will never, ever, ever experience the wrath of God. The disciples' focus, folks, was on Jesus' death. What did they miss? The resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. Three times in Matthew 16, 21, 17, 23, and 2019, Jesus told them he would die and he would raise again from the dead. Three times he told them that, and they missed it every time. Our world, folks, misses the resurrection. Our world denies the empty tomb. How can that tomb really be empty? Someone stole the body. He wasn't really dead, the swoon theory. All kinds of philosophies of men. Folks, the tomb was empty. Jesus was dead. Dead. Stone cold dead. Our world ignores the eyewitness testimony of the resurrected Jesus. Do you know that Jesus was seen by over 500 at one time? That's not a hallucination. He was seen by all the apostles. He was seen by James. He was seen by Paul. He was seen by so many people after his death. Eyewitness testimony. And guess what? The resurrection of Jesus is a preview of coming attractions. You know what that coming attraction is? Your resurrection. His resurrection guarantees that every single believer will be raised from the dead. John 14, 19. This is written one day before the cross. This is key information. You're getting ready to die Jesus, in his last week, gave all kinds of incredible information. From John 12 all the way to the crucifixion, he gives incredible information. This is one day before the cross. This promise is for you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. He's going to die. But you will see me, and he says these words. Let them resonate within you. Because I live, you will live also. There's no equivocating here. There's no, you might live, it might, it, it could be. No, you will live also. It's a promise to you. All humans will be resurrected, folks. Believers to the resurrection of life. Unbelievers to the resurrection of eternal death and separation from God. 
Do you know that Jesus spoke more about hell and the lake of fire and separation from him and torment than he did about heaven? He warned people, it is so awful. Don't go there. Don't go there. Cut off your hand. Pluck out your eye. Whatever you have to do, don't go there. Believe and put your trust in me. I'm your only hope. I am your only way. Our world misses the resurrections, folks. It misses the resurrection. Don't you miss it. Believe and receive the gift of salvation. Who can be saved? Who can be saved? Any can be saved. John 1, 9 says this, Jesus is the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world or woman. Uh, Titus 2, 11 says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everyone, to all people. The grace of God, all humans are savable, folks. Believe and receive the gift. Verse 24 and 25a, governments are big on taxes. Now, I think you realize this. We're getting into tax season. They want your taxes, folks. They want your money. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And Peter answers, yes. Yes, yes, he does pay. So again, you know that all governments are big on taxes. Caesar, remember we went through the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. He was big on taxes. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Remember that word, Augustus, the august one, the one that claimed to be God. Started Caesar worship in Rome, that all the world should be registered. Why? For taxes. And to know about an army, raising up an army. Caesars want your taxes. Now, what was Rome doing, doing during this period of time? They were building architectural, majestic structures in Rome. And you go to Rome, there's all kinds of stuff that has been built. Master builders, this took money. There was something called the Pax Romana, 200 years of peace in Rome, where Rome just prospered. And the whole world then experienced the peace, the Pax Romana of Rome. And in that, roads were built. 50,000 miles of roads were built, which facilitated, by the way, the spread of the gospel. See, Jesus came into the world at the perfect time. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. It wasn't by accident that he came when he came. Somebody wrote this. Whether you were male or female, rich or poor, white, brown, or black, Christian, Jew, Roman, or barbarian, if you belonged to Rome, you had to pay taxes to Rome. In order to find those eligible for taxes and to collect all the various taxes, the Romans had someone called the tax man. The tax man is after you. The tax man was a public canis. That's what the word means, meaning public revenue. You know who else was a tax man? The disciple Matthew was a tax man. You think he was liked? No way. He worked for Rome and was a publican, hated by the Jewish people. It is into this world that Jesus was born, and he was expected to pay taxes to Rome and the temple tax. We're going to ish deal with the temple tax right now. What is the temple tax? Well, it's, it's a very common form of money, the two drachma. Are you helped with that? You know what the drachma are? If that doesn't help you, what a drach, the two drachmas are a stater. That's the other one, a stater. That's what he's going to find. It's two days' wages, once a year, on Passover, Pentecost, or Tabernacles. That's when it was given. Two drachma. 
Every Jewish male between the ages of 20 and 50 had to pay for the maintenance of the temple and its services. I want you to think about something. The temple at the time of Jesus was corrupt. Yet Jesus is going to give to this corrupt organization. Why did he do that? Well, first of all, he fulfilled the law perfectly. Exodus 30, 13 says this. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, a half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. There was a command for the Jewish people to support the work of the temple. Jesus also taught in the temple, so he benefited from the temple because that's where he could meet people. And God's people were expected to be in the temple. Christ was in the temple as an example for where the people should be. Now, I want you to think about your life. Now, you might go to some places and they might leverage on you the church tax. If you're coming here, you better pay your tithe church tax. Every cent we want from you. Sign the card. Sign your pledge. I don't know if you've ever been to places like that. I have, and that's, they're very serious about this. Uh, the, the church tax. No, there's no such thing as the church tax. There is a need for people to give to the church. You realize that. Those being taught in the church are benefiting from the church. But, folks, we gather together in the church as a demonstration to the world that the worship of our God is important to us. We leave our homes, we leave the things of this world, and we come here, and they wonder, why aren't you golfing? Why aren't you fishing? Why aren't you going hunting? Why aren't you playing sports? Why aren't you watching the game? Why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you? We value meeting together to worship our God, and we're telling the world this is important to us. This is not an elective. Listen. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Hebrews 10, 22 says this. Listen to what this says. This is an interesting statement. You've heard it before. Now, the setting is here talking about the house of God and, and Jesus is the, is, the, is the holiness. By the holiness of the blood, we, we approach the throne of grace and that sort of thing. And it says this in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart, draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, trusting and believing that God will do, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's all about, isn't that just amazing? Just pureness, holiness, all God, all God, all God. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, without doubting. He who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up loves and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, building one another up so much more as you see the day approaching, the day of the Lord approaching. Folks, it's going to be more and more important. We've said this numerous times. As we are closer to the end, meeting together, gathering together, encouraging one another on this road of our lives is going to be more important as the opposition increases against Christians. Throughout the world, they take it very serious. People will hide in caves. People will meet in fields. People will hide in basements. They'll do anything to be together because the family of God must be together in order to, in order to encourage and nurture one another. It's not an elective. It's not an elective. As the temple was important at the times of Jesus, the local church is important to believers 
today. I hope you sense that. 25b and 20, through 27. Jesus was exempt from the temple and government tax, yet he paid the tax. And I'm thinking, why did he do that? If you were exempt, would you pay the tax? Hmm. Verse 25, let's read it. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, From strangers. And Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. If you look in your notes in the column, in the center column, that's a stater, the exact amount. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. Jesus was exempt. Now, why was Jesus exempt? Because he is God. He is the son of God. That temple was all about him. He is God's son. The king's son does not have to pay taxes. Jesus turned the inquiry from the temple tax to a civil tax, to a Roman tax. From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? This wasn't to deal with the temple. From their sons or strangers? The question is straightforward. Do the king's kids have to pay taxes? And Peter answers and says, the strangers pay taxes, not the king's kids. The plebes, the regular folks pay the taxes. The king's kids are exempt. Jesus is telling Peter something here very significant. He's telling Peter he is God. He does not have to pay the temple tax. He is God. That temple is all about him. But yet he paid the tax. He paid the tax. Now, a question arises. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to take you down a little bit of a road here. A question arises, at least in my mind, Muslim clerics and others in will ask this question. Where does it say in the Bible that Jesus says he is God? Where does it say he is God? I think he says it here in this text. But I also think it's even more clear in the seven I am statements that he gives in the book of John. When he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life, etc., he is referring back to Exodus chapter 3. You've heard this before. Who shall I say that you are God? Who should I say? Who should I tell the people you are? And he said, I am that I am. And remember, this is a significant statement because the I am is the eternal now, the eternal present. There is no past with God, future with God, now with God. It's all, all of it. He's outside of time. He's not constrained by time. He's the eternal presence. He's claiming to be God. In John 8, 58, to make it even clearer, not one of the I am statements, not one of the seven, but he says this, before Abraham was, I am. He says this to the Pharisees. Now, do you think they were all cheery about that? Oh, no. They took up stones to throw at him, knowing he was claiming to be God. Unequivocally, Jesus believed he is God. Unequivocally. A similar event took place in John chapter 5, 17 through 18, when he's reading in the temple and he reads some words about himself and they get all ticked off because he's, he's, he's claiming to be the one that they're reading about God and reading Isaiah. 
and they take up stones, and they saw, actually, they didn't take up stones. They, they sought to kill him because he broke the Sabbath and said God, his father, God was his father, making himself equal with God. Jesus knew, knew he was God. Demons know Jesus is God. In Matthew 8, 29, remember the Gersenes, the two demons, these powerful, mean, nasty, they couldn't be held by chains, nothing could restrain them, and they make this statement when Jesus comes to them. Suddenly they cried out, what, we, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? You're, you're the son of, they knew it, so Jesus knew he is God. Paul knew that Jesus is God. In Colossians 2.19, for all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Paul was unequivocally impressed with Jesus being God. Demons know Jesus is God in James 2.19. The disciples know Jesus is God in John 2.21. Thomas, when he finally sees Jesus, and the other disciples have already seen him the week before, and he would refuse to believe unless he puts his hand in the side and touches his nail prints and that sort of thing. Jesus appears, and as you know, he touched, and, and he says these words, my Lord and my God. Thomas believed. The disciples finally believed. There is one way to God. Actually, the question is for you. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he is your only hope? Folks, the scripture could not be clear. There is one mediator between God and man, that is Jesus. Timothy, Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says this, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There are not multiple mediators. There's not multiple ways to God. Christianity is exclusively through Jesus. No other way. It says it specifically. One thing Scripture is clear about, folks, there will be a day, there will be a day in the future where everyone will know that they know that Jesus Christ is Lord. How do I know? Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. We know that the name of Jesus, at just the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's no question about it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now think about this. Jesus is saying, I'm not of this world or of this world system. I really don't have to pay this tax. But lest we offend them, lest we become obnoxious to them, don't cause a problem with this, Peter. Pay the tax. Now notice how Jesus pays the tax. He just didn't go to the money bag and get the tax. He has Peter go fishing. So Peter catches the first fish, opens his mouth, found a piece of money, an exact amount, a stater, the exact temple tax, give it to them for me and you. Peter is again shown Jesus is God. Another wow moment for Peter. And I want you to think about something. I think that Jesus, I think that God is all about wow moments. And you've heard me say this before, but I think our eternity with God is going to be a, an eternity of not, I've been here a million years, I'm bored. That word will never enter your mind when your kids say, you're, you're 10 minutes at Cedar Point, and they're going, I'm bored. No, you're not. No, you're not. Get on the next ride. Keep going. We drove all this way. Well, remember, Jesus is the creator 
In John 1, 3, it says this, Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In Genesis 1, 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was the instrument of the Godhead that created. Prepare yourself, folks, for an eternity, a forever of wow. I can't believe this. What's he going to do next? Forever, forever, the surprises of heaven. Now, the Christian responsibility is to pay taxes. Consider Jesus' words in Matthew 22. We read that a group of Pharisees confronted Jesus and asked a question. Yes or no, Jesus? Yes or no? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, the Roman emperor? Are you going to do that, Jesus? And Jesus responded, asking these questions. Whose face is on the coin? Caesar's. And then he makes this statement, which you're familiar with. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. You give Caesar the coin he deserves, but you give God your life. That is what he deserves. Now, closing thoughts. Now, you think this is going to end soon, don't you? Because we're going to be talking about Christians and the government. And again, this is a tough section of Scripture, at least for me. The question is this, who established government? God. God did. He established government. Now, why government? I'm going to give you some excerpts from a guy named Kirby Anderson, and he writes the Christian view of government and law. And he states this, the Old Testament teaches that God established government after the flood, the necessity of humans to be governed, Genesis 9-6. The need for government derives from the necessity of controlling human sinfulness. Now, I want to take you back a couple summers ago. Remember when there were protests in the cities? Protest. The riots in the cities that the progressive mayors we're calling protest. And I want to take you back, not to Portland, Oregon, not to New York City, not to Minneapolis, Minnesota, but I want to take you to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And this is what was happening there that wonderful night as these protesters were protesting peacefully in the streets of Grand Rapids, okay? Now, I don't know how you felt about this, but in my spirit, I'm going... This is terrible. Anarchy, lawlessness is terrible. It's almost like any, any government that would suppress this would be welcome compared to anarchy. Now watch this next picture of this wonderful young lady. Now this lady, which they have her kind of blurred out, is taking a, a, a huge chunk of wood and she is bashing this. Now I watched this live stream as they're, as they're going through the riots. And I, her anger, her angst, and she's part of this anarchist club, was de destroying everything in sight. And you could see the passion, the anger, as she's taking the club and just bam, bam, against that window. And she's just violent. You could just almost see like demons just, just flowing out of her. And I'm thinking anything is better than this. Any type of government is better than this. Now, remember this, government has been ordained by God, Romans chapter 3, verse 13, verses 1 through 7. But government is always under the control of God. It's to submit to God in His ways. Government has been given three responsibilities. 
Three responsibilities. Now, that's what the government's been given. Three responsibilities. Not everything that you see today. The sword of justice to punish criminals. The sword of order to thwart rebellion. And the sword of war to defend the state. Now, what has happened? The government has morphed into your mommy and your daddy and wants to tell you everything to do. And what they are doing now is that they are spying on you. And I don't know if you know this or not, but they are spying to you through every bit of technology that you have, through your computers, through I think it's through your TVs. Now, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but it might sound like it. But anyway, through your phones, they want to know every step that you're taking, every step you're taking. Now, in the People's Republic of China, they have the greatest surveillance system in the world. And they are the envy of all these other progressive governments, Macron, Biden, Chancellor in Germany, that sort of thing. They want to have their society watched. It's for your safety. It's for your protection as your freedoms dwindle away. Now, watch this first picture here. This is just the cameras. This gives you an illustration that the world is being watched, and they want to watch you. And this is just China over here, where this, again, they are the most surveilled society on, in the world. They have cameras all over the place, and the purpose is to give their people a social score. How the, much they are cooperating with the government in order to be able to function within the government. If you have a high social story, score, then you get to do, have more benefits within the government. If you're resisting the government, you go down the ladder and you get less and less privileges. Now, that's the envy of the world. That's communism. That's socialistic communism. Now, I want to say something here. I believe that Christians should reject Marxist ideologies, communist ideologies. Listen to what Karl Marx believed that humans, human nature was conditioned by society, and in particular, the capitalistic economy. His solution was to change the economy so that would change human behavior. Let that resonate. Change the economy, change human behavior. Marx asked this question, why do we have greed? Because we live in a greedy, capitalistic society. Marx taught that if society changed the economy from capitalism to socialism then communism, greed, to communism, then greed would cease. He was wrong. He was wrong. You cannot change the human heart by a government. You cannot change the human heart. He was inaccurate. He had an inaccurate view of humanity. The depravity of humanity knows no bounds. And humans always want whatever they can get. The only thing that changes that is not the government, not rules and regulations, but God. He's the one that changes it. And Jesus Christ makes you a new man or a new woman in Christ. You are a new person. Christ is an expert at changing human behavior, not governments, to change from self-think to other-think. You get that, don't you? It's not about you. Scripture is replete with statements like this. Now, Philippians 2, 3, but, but really it's, it's pointing to others than yourself. It says this, Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others 
better than yourself. That's what God wants us to do. Jesus came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's how he, well, he came in Matthew 20, 26. And then Jesus says this to his disciples as they're fighting with one another for position in the kingdom. The greatest among you guys will be your servant. Will be your servant. That's the Jesus model. Christians are called to render service and obedience to the government. Again, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and God's what is God's. Christians are to submit to civil authority. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17 is unequivocal what this says. You, can, you cannot misconstrue this. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the kings as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. In verse 17, he says this, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We are to be exemplary citizens wherever God has placed us. That's the principle. That's the principle. However, Christians are not to give total and final allegiance to the secular state. You realize this. We are not to do that. Christians' final allegiance must be to whom? God. God. Christians are to obey civil authorities, Romans 13, 5, in order to avoid anarchy and chaos, but, but, there are times when they may, when they may be forced, and again, forced to disobey. When the government edict goes against God's word, we can not obey. We must not obey. We must be true to our God, not true to a changing, devolving, moral situation in our country. We are, when told not to teach in the name of Jesus, now that's coming, folks. This, this, this thing about Jesus only and Jesus being the only way, that's going to become more and more intolerant as we go forward. You can't even mention his name in, in many countries or you're killed. When told not to teach in the name of Jesus, stop teaching the word of God, comply or else, in Acts 5.29, Peter responded this way, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, that's a, that's, a, that's a command. We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, we are fortunate, folks. We live in a republic, a representative government. We have the privilege, the honor that many people in this world do not have. We can vote. Now, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> it's all rigged. But I believe that as Christians, we still have a responsibility to vote. Use the God-given gift that he's given you to vote, to vote. Now, the Christian dilemma in America. Now, you know that America was founded on Judeo-Christian ethics. Freedom of religion was a hallmark of our founding fathers. People came to America on a large part to be able to worship God freely. As a matter of fact, the establishment of Judeo-Christian values in the colonies 
was of utmost importance to those colonists, of utmost importance. As America has devolved into darkness, it has joined the ranks of the world. It has become like all the other parts of the world that are worshiping false gods. And their people are under oppression that are worshiping false gods. Look at where the most of the world is. I should have put the 1040 window up there again. You've seen it many times. Where the nations, the majority of humanity lives in places that worship a false gods and they live awful, awful lives. God brings freedom. God brings quality of life. And this abandoning the true God has consequences. The worship of false gods, our forefathers never knew. The Baals, the Astras, the Destroyers is rampant in America today. When you take the true God out, the vacuum will be filled by the false. And they have come in full steam ahead with a vengeance. With a vengeance. Our government has changed from protector of the people to controller of the people. That is what has happened in our country. I think you sense it. And it's called, it's under the guise of progressive. We're progressives. Ronald Reagan said this, quote, government's first duty is to protect the people, not run their lives. First responsibility. Now, what you know on the horizon, we've been through this many times as we've been through the book of Revelation and Daniel, and we've talked about this. You know, maybe you're ready to throw up from it all, but uh, we're talking about the Antichrist. We're talking about a global government. We're talking about a world system that's going to be implemented. This is truth. This is not make-believe. This is not fairy tale. The world is being prepped right now. And right now, you know, I've had other pictures of this, the technology is here for information to be implanted into you. This is just one example of a plethora of, that you can get on the Internet. Surprise, the world's first security controller chip development. Oh, real surprise. And if you look at the technology today, this never existed before. The next picture just shows just the, the smallness of these things that can be implanted into people that can give all kinds of information to the government. And it, it's for your safety. It's we're, we want to keep you safe. And it's stealing your freedom. And it's stealing all of your privacy. This is where our world is going. The government now is involved. And I think you know this. Remember, the three things for government. Punish criminals, thwart rebellion, defend the state. The government now is involved in every area of your life. It is so intrusive. That's what communism is. And it's coming. We still have a republic, folks. But it's changing right before our eyes. The government has taken on the role of legislating morality. Telling its citizens what is moral. Now, what corrupt leaders have done is this. We have had the legalization of infanticide. Killing babies under the guise of woman's reproductive rights. This is the murder, the wholesale, premeditated murder of babies. That's what it is. Now, you try to be gentle in the population. I wouldn't say this in a, you know, to, to, to groups of people that I'm trying to witness to, you infanticizer. 
No, I wouldn't say that. But you've been duped into, into thinking that something that you believe is good and ignoring the, the consequence to the child. And I want to take a pause here. There's a lot of people that have been involved with abortion. And I want you to know, and you know this, that God forgives any, any sin. He can forgive you. He can restore you. You can have a full life, and you can be a great witness for your Lord if you have, happen to have an abortion. Infanticide. The government is also involved extremely in homosexual marriage. And again, by the way, there's no such thing as homosexual marriage. It, it is an anathema. It is, it is not something that's real. The government has made it real, but in the eyes of God, it is not. We've had the promotion of transgender lifestyles encouraging kids. Now get this one. Under five years old, parents are making a decision that my boy is a girl or my girl is a boy. Under five. And changing their lives. That has happened now. That has happened now. That did not happen 20 years ago. That has happened now. That's how much our world is changing. It is changing to the point that a little boy or a little girl can self-identify as a cat. I'm a kitten today, and I'm going to go to school. And by the way, I need my kitty litter in the corner. And the teacher supports it. The principal supports it. The parents support it. The school board supports it. The government supports it. That is a tragedy. That is a lie. That is a lie. How many genders are there? Two, man and woman. Who says? God says. <laughs> this, is not a, this is not up for debate. How about this? Government intrusion. The push from capitalism to Marxism. Communism is here, folks. Its ideologies are being promoted. When you see these words, diversity, inclusion, inclusion and equity, which, by the way, is die, D-I-E, they don't say it that way. It's D-E-I, but I put D-I-E. It's the death of a culture. Those words are not bad in themselves, but the way they define them is bad. There's a way to look at that as good. The government wants to raise your children. Did you know this? You feed them, you clothe them, but you give them to us so we can control their thinking. We can indoctrinate them. And now there is an all-out effort to silence any dissenting voice in the culture. Any dissenting voice in the culture, an all-out effort. They want to cancel culture. Now, you ever heard that word before? That's all made up now. That's in our recent years. That wasn't in, in 1960, there was not cancel culture. In 1970, there was not cancel culture. 1980, 1990, 2000, it's starting to pick up. And now we're living in it where, it's, where we have it just, just willy-nilly, cancel culture. You're not agreeing with this. We're going to silence you. The moral depravity. Now, they'll kick you off of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, in a click if you don't walk lockstep with them. And it's all motivated by fear. And by the way, they're protecting you. They're protecting you from these crazy people that have a contrary view. These intolerant people. The moral depravity of spitting in God's face goes on and on. America, as you know, has kicked God out of the government, out of its schools, out of its workplace, 
No Ten Commandments for you folks. Look what we live with now. Metal detectors in schools. Not just metal detectors, now pleading for guards to be in school. Armed guards to protect the children. We take the Ten Commandments out and welcome the Astras, the Bales, and the Destroyers. They have come into your culture and into your world big time. Learn from history, folks. Learn from Rome. This is a quote. I don't know who said it, but it's a quote from that from me. So, when the Roman Empire was dying in the late 200s and 300s, their financial resources had been stretched to the limit. You know that Rome was conquered from within. It fell from its own depravity. That's what's happening here, by the way. They were spending a substantial part of their revenue on people on the dole. Now, you might not be familiar with that, but in the 30s, being on the dole means you're on welfare, supported by the government. Now, government has a role, but not the role that it's playing today. Who received from the state free oil, grain, meat, and often wine. The cost of military maintaining order and repelling invasion on their far-flung borders was enormous. Immigrants kept flooding into Rome, and the cost of housing and feeding them was draining the treasury. This is true, true history. The state had raised taxes on the wealthy so high that many fled their homes and settled in faraway lands. Does this sound eerily familiar to you? Think about this. Saddest of all. Now, this is, now this is a bit sad right up to this point. I will have a little bit of good stuff here in just a second. Okay, next page is good stuff. So hold on. But the saddest of all, what the government promotes has infiltrated the church. That is what has happened. With this infiltration, the indoctrination is almost complete. But I want you to realize there is still a restrainer. There is still a true church in America and in the West and in England and in France. There is still a true church. In Australia, there's still a true church. A remnant restrainer. The church, quote church, the last bastion of defense, folks, is generally compromised in our country. Now, let me ask you a question. <laughs> How many places can you go to that you're ever going to hear a talk like this? You're not feeling real peppy right now. This isn't a pep talk. This isn't a pep rally. Go team, Okay. You are hearing the truth of what's happening in a culture. You're, the, the, the church is falling down on its responsibilities to warn its people about what's happening in the very culture they're living in. They're warning each other in China, for sure, I can tell you that. They're supporting each other in Iran, I can tell you that. But in America, the lukewarm spew you out of my mouth. They're, they're appalled by a talk like this. Appalled. The church has been generally compromised. Now, how have they done this? Well, you just keep repeating the lie. You can repeat it over and over. Repeating a lie often enough to change human thinking has been around a long time. Now, Joseph Goebbels is someone you know, and we've had this picture before of Joseph Goebbels. He was a Nazi propaganda czar. And he said this, if you repeat a lie often enough, people will believe it. And you yourself even come to believe it yourself. Lenin had the same philosophy. A lie told often enough becomes the truth. Your brain, 
gets pummeled over and over and over with lies and misinformation. And how many friends do you have that have bought into this and start to believe that's the truth and that you're crazy for your beliefs? The result of this ideology, millions, and I mean millions of people have died. In the Russian communist revolution, 20 to 30 million. The same number when Mao took over in China, 20 to 30 million. Nazi Germany, millions. Now the Christian response, this is where we are today. Jesus told us our world would devolve. You have been taught. We learn Bible prophecy to know what is coming. So we're not in a panic. We're not living in fear and that sort of thing. He said it would be like the times of Noah and Lot. It is in this world you have been placed for this time, like Esther, for such a time as this. You are not here by accident. You are representatives of our Lord. Our duty, our calling in such a time is, number one, speak the truth and be salt and light. Speak the truth and be salt and life. This could be our finest hour, folks. Our finest hour to stand. Make it your finest hour. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You can make a difference. You speak the truth. Number two, we are to live not by lies. Remember Rod Dreyer's book, We're to See, Judge, and Act. Number three, Erwin Lutzer's book, We Will Not Be Silenced. We will not stop speaking the truth. Be bold for Christ. No cowering in a corner. And folks, if there's ever been a time for you to be a real Christian, this is it. No being a chameleon. No being a blender ender. Don't just try to cam just camouflage yourself with the culture. If I camouflage myself, they won't really know I'm a Christian. And I can just blend right in and I'll be safe. No, you won't. No, you won't. If you claim the name of Jesus, at some point, they will come for you. No matter how you try to hide. You're Christians. You are a Christian. You have words of life. Words of truth. And remember Oz Guinness. One word of truth can dispel a world of lies. You stand on the truth. You do not waver. You be the bull in the blizzard. If there was a time for the bull, it would, well, I'm not really a bull, but the bull now. Stand firm. Stand firm. The greatest demonstration, folks, of real love is telling people the truth. It is. That's what real love is. We must not, we must not, as Jason has so eloquently spoken, pat someone on the head and affirm their sinful lifestyle, you will contribute to their demise to hell. Hell is real. And I have this picture of this little guy being patted on the head and someone saying, you're okay. Just love the one you're with. It's all about love. Amy Grant, I'm so disappointed. So disappointed. Christian singer, thought she was a solid Christian. Embracing the whole indoctrination. You have power that the world does not have. You have the Holy Spirit. 
you have the rod of iron up your spine to allow you to see, judge, and act in the culture. The Holy Spirit courage lives within you. And I'm telling you, this is a time to live all out for Christ. Let everyone in your family know where you stand. Let every friend that you engage with know where you stand. Let everyone in your workplace know where you stand. Now, we're not to be irritating and clump them over the head and that sort of thing. But folks, they must know I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of the master. I'm a follower of the true God. I will not compromise my values or my principles. I don't care the direction that this world's taken. You're an ambassador of Christ. Speak the truth. Live not by lies. Do not be silenced. Be bold for Christ. This is how we live in a nation running. And I mean sprinting. It is, Bob Hayes was a sprinter in my time. I mean, that guy could run, okay? That's how our country, we are sprinting away from God. This is the Christian response to a devolving government. And you'll see this picture, please, indelibly imprinted on your mind. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. That's what Joshua said. Be bold. We're going into the land. There's going to be giants in the land. There's going to be opposition in the land. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Men and women of God, it's time to rise up as men and women of God. Let all the world know whom you serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this time to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Thank you, Lord, that you have placed us here for such a time. And Lord, I am really thankful that we still live in a somewhat free state here that we still have freedoms that the world envies. I know it's changing, but Lord, help us to do our part while we're here in a changing world. May we be men and women of guts, men and women of courage, men and women that in love speak the truth in love. 